All right, Pete Giuliano. It is now Monday, the 22nd of February, 2016, and this is Solder Smoke 185. 185! And 185. Hope you're not hearing any echo. You're hitting it real. <laughs> well, just on that high peak, I worry. <laughs> no echo. Listen, listen we're, we're approaching this one with some trepidation. We have to tell the audience there, Pete, we're, this is a do-over edition. This is the second time that Pete and I have recorded this thing because, well, I'm going to say I messed up, but I'm going to blame it on the computer, on the digital stuff. Long said story, but let's just get on with it, Pete. First, the travel log. Bit of travel log. He's got to say, he says, here, no camera. I've got to turn my camera on. Hold on. See, I'm messing up. It's all these buttons i got to push. <laughs> there you go. Digi there you go. Digi nerds. Yeah, I know. I know. You're probably wishing I didn't turn the camera on. But anyway. <laughs> there you go. All right, here we go. Trials and tribulations here. Um, travelogue. We used to do a lot of travelogue when I was in Italy. We haven't been doing too much, but I wanted to mention something with, that I've been doing. I take a walk at, at lunchtime at work, and I happen to work close to the National Mall in Washington, so I have a really scenic route to walk. I walk along the National Mall from uh, the Lincoln Memorial down to the Washington Monument, past, past the World War II and Korean War memorials, past the World War I memorial, and I go up around the Washington Monument. I go on back. It's about two and a, two, two and a quarter, two and a half miles. It's a nice walk. I'm looking up at the Washington Monument the other day, thinking, I've never been up there. So I talked to the rangers. It was a cold day in February. Not a lot of tourists around. Bang. Next thing you know, I am upward bound, 550 feet up in an elevator. It's an amazing thing. And Pete, you know what I got thinking about when I was up there? No. What were you thinking about, Bill? <laughs> You know what I was thinking about. Antennas! <laughs> and that's what—that—that's that, the subject of this week's uh, special. This is the special antenna edition that we're going to have this week. Pete wanted us to do a special February antenna edition. This seems right because February is the month of antennas, as we all know. Yeah. And anyway, I was up there looking around. You get quite a good view from 550 feet. Oh, yeah. And you can see the horizon, and I was thinking, yeah, you know, you could put, I, I could put a mock sun up on top of this thing. Oh. I have a special display up there describing about how, how it got hit by lightning and the, the lightning rods that they have up there. You could see damage from the earthquake, from the 2010 earthquake. Shifted those rocks around quite a bit. And uh, anyway, very interesting. That's the travelogue this week, antenna-related. The Washington Monument. Yeah, you know, you know, Bill. I just want a, a thought cross my mind in that two and a half mile walk that you take. Just think of the important figures that have affected our country that have probably walked those same steps. I mean, all <laughs> all, all the great people that have that have led this country in the past have probably been on that path that you were on. I think that that's yeah, amazing. But, I mean, that's. But, but you know what? You know what I like best about it. I don't want to get into this. We're getting a little bit off yeah. topic here. But one of the coolest things about the walk is that everybody else on the walk, they're almost all tourists. There's, there's no Washington. I'm about the only Native, person who lives Native, works here. Yeah. yeah. So they're, but they're all tourists, and it's nice. Their families, they're from all over the world. They're, they're, they're having a good time. So it's a very nice. There's good vibrations out there, oh, yeah. Pete. Oh yeah. Anyway, uh, time for the bench report. Okay. Well, uh, if you've been following along here, uh, the XYL was in the hospital for about a six-week period, so uh, my my soldering iron got rust on it. <laughs> Although I did knock the rust off the other day, I had an electrical appliance that had a frayed line cord, so I did have to solder the line cord back in place, and so 
Well, that's something. Yeah, there were some of the runs got taken off. So uh, have not been too much, although we hope to pick things back up on the Simple Seaver project. I did make a recent blog entry about the trans moving to the transitioning to the trans transmitter portion, and uh, on the blog now is uh, information about the uh, the various blocks and the circuit elements and how they all go together. So uh, I actually cleared a spot on my bench so I can start soldering hardware to the to the board that I made for that. So uh, it, it'll pick up. But uh, I, I got to tell you, even though the X Files out of the hospital, uh, we still have a lot of doctor's appointments, physical therapy, and what have you. So. Uh, not too much, uh, not too much time. Uh, you know, I got to steal a half an hour here and twenty minutes there, and and that's about max. So it's kind of hard to get started on a soldering project. <laughs> you get but get the war- arm warmed up, then and, and and it's time to go and and move on. So, uh, but but I have been spending some time because this is something that you can read about and read out of a book is uh, mating up the Raspberry Pi two. Shutter, Bill. Let's see you shutter. Let me see you shutter there. Let me. I'm, I'm trying to maintain my composure. <laughs> Raspberry Pi 2. I'm, I'm trying the, to, to stay calm, cool, and collected here, but go yeah, on. Yeah, Raspberry Pi 2 with a soft rock, one of these uh, soft rock trans, SDR transceivers. And actually, uh, I, I have used the Power SDR before, and now the, uh, the Raspberry Pi offers something that's uh, smaller size, portability, uh, I mean, I even have a five-inch, uh, uh, five-inch uh, HDMI LCD screen, so you could you could have a portable operation with a full computer on it, and uh, so it's, uh, kind of some really good uh, possibilities here. The software being used is called Quisk, Q-U-I-S-K, and you can look that up on the internet. So I do have a working transceiver. I haven't had, made any contacts with it, but I've uh, got the receiver working, and the uh, Quisk, Quisk software is quite good. Uh, I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm googling Quisk right now, and it it says something about torture. It's, it's, oh, a, it's, yeah. a, tor- it's a torture device. No, no, that you gotta look, you go find the other one. The other Quisk. Is that the same thing? It must be different. Maybe not. Two ADR. Anyway, I hope to I hope to do a little more on that, and perhaps maybe get it on the air. And but I was really impressed with the image rejection. Once you learn how to do it, boy, it's pretty dramatic. So. Kind of some nice features, and just goes to show you that uh, lots of technology. I mean, thirty-five dollars for the for the Pi Two, and uh, whatever you got in the soft rock, you know, hundred dollar bill, you got an SDR transceiver. So uh, quite amazing. Uh, more more to come on that, but uh, that's uh, that's kind of all from this bench uh, since since our last podcast. Well, you know, Pete, uh, your your mention of the Raspberry Pi, and I, uh, I'm 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 really just uh, feigning my discomfort here because it's an in, it's a really interesting uh, project, but. It remind I, I have been dabbling in the digital <gasps> realm. Yeah, as you know, you know, you know, because you, you, you've heard my my pleas for help and my uh, you know my my crying and moaning about the uh, about the Arduino. Anyway, I've had several Arduino projects, and I thank uh, Tom AK2B up there in New York City, who has uh, uh, pulled me back from the uh, the ledge a couple of times here as I worked on the. Uh, the Arduino. What I've been doing is building different VFOs, IQ VFOs for um, for my S uh, for my uh, R2 phasing receiver. More about that in a moment. But I just wanted to repeat a joke that Tom told me. I, I, at one point, I was kind of hanging my head, and he he's great. He'll he'll he skypes in and he tries to talk me through the problem, and he's very patient. And but then I said to him, "Man, I said this is this is really difficult. This is supposed to be the microcontroller." For the masses, this is supposed to be what's going to let the uh, you know hippie artists 
you know, <laughs> figure out how to, you know, do pottery and macrame and tie dye better, more efficiently, more digitally. I said, here I am, and I, I'm a fairly technical guy, and I, I could barely get the thing to compile and upload. And Tom, he's got a very kind of uh, calm way, and he said, well, Bill, you know, he said, on the suicide hotlines, you know, the numbers that people call in, he said, now there's a feature, all of them begin with, if you're calling about Arduino, press one now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would like uh, that'll that do it. Because I can sympathize. Because man, I'm telling you, these things can drive you over the edge. But that gets us to uh, to my portion of the bench update, because it is intimately involved with Arduino. I have launched. I launched since our last show a daring but failed attempt to come up with a divide by two IQ VFO, INQ VFO. Let me explain. I'll try. I don't want to. You know, a lot of times we, we don't want to blast past people who might not be into this particular weird niche of our weird technical hobby. But all right, so when you if you're working with a, a phasing receiver or a phasing transmitter, one of the essential elements is a VFO that will put out its signal in two streams, identical frequency, but one stream has to be 90 degrees off in phase from the other stream. Now, it's, it gets a little bit more involved to, to explain why you need that. But just for now, just accept that that's what you need. So i got to build a VFO that spits out stably um, a certain frequency and in two streams, two wires, two outputs, two BNC connectors, one 90 degrees off from the other. I, the first one I did, I really didn't do it. Our friend Paul Darlington, M0XPD, and Kanga UK did it for me because they produced this really neat Arduino shield. And a shield is a little, basically a little board the size of the Arduino with sockets on it. So you just plunk it right down on top of the little Arduino devil. And you put it right there and then you have like a, <laughs> a digital sandwich with, the, uh, with one board riding on top of the other. It makes for a very efficient and easy way to connect the two. Um, so anyway, Paul had designed this shield using the AD9850 direct digital synthesis chip out of China for a ridiculously low price. He put it on the shield and he added the circuitry that was necessary to come up with the 90 degree phase difference dual stream. Now, one thing I noticed when I started playing around with Paul's board was that it was a divide by four scheme. So whatever frequency the AD9850 was spitting out, say it was spitting out, 40 megahertz, which is its maximum, pretty much its maximum uh, frequency output from the AD9850 board. It's a little board about the size of your thumb. Uh, the, Paul's chips, the flip-flops that he had installed on the shield, would divide that by four, giving you a maximum output of about 10 megahertz. Now, this was kind of a restriction for me because I had visions of using my phasing receiver for multiple bands. And I thought, wow, all I need to do is get the VFO going. But for some reason, reason that I didn't understand at the time, Paul and Kanga UK had opted for a divide by four scheme that reduced my maximum frequency <laughs> by a divide by four factor, right? So that that limited me pretty much to 40 meters and below on the hand bands. I couldn't even hit 30 meters, which is a 10.1 megahertz. So I figured, okay, I'm going to do better than that. 
SI-5351 to the rescue. SI-5351 will go up to 160 megahertz, right? Actually, the later now, ones will hit 200. So, there you go. So you, you've got a broader spread there. Right. So even, even so, I and I then the other thing I figured was, what's this divide by four stuff? Where is it written that it has to be divided by four? I started poking around the net, and I found this one circuit using two dual flip flops, two two D flip flops, and an inverter that would supposedly, allegedly, reportedly, churn out the two streams, but using only divide by two. Wow, that's that's twice as good, <laughs> because if you take if you start with 160 meters. And you're going to divide by two. That means your max frequency is now 80 megacycles, or megahertz for you modern folks. And that means I could take this thing all the way up to six meters and beyond. You even mentioned four meters, Pete. Right. You don't even have that right. band. You don't even have that band, but you want coming, to- coming. Is it? Yeah, coming. They have it in the UK. Yeah, coming. Wow, didn't know. Yeah. Holy cow! Gotta get ready. But anyway, so I built this divide by two s- circuit with a lot of help from Todd Gale, VE7BPO, a true wizard. Todd is a wizard, okay? And he helped me, and he talked me through building this thing, and he actually worked on it, came up with a circuit, and I built it. I built it, and I installed it in the phasing receiver using the same box that I had used for the 809850, so I can sort of plug in different um, VFO boxes. And I fired it up, and I noticed right away I got I had increased frequency coverage, but man, my sideband rejection, which is the whole point of the phasing system, the whole point of INQ is to to allow you to get rid of that image, that other side of zero beat. It, man, it, it had seriously deteriorated with with the first shield that I used from Paul M0XPD. I did a quick and dirty measure and estimated that my opposite sideband rejection was at about 40 dB, which is pretty darn good. With this new device that I had built, the divide by two of the SI5351, I was only getting 15, 20 dB of sideband rejection. That's really bad. That means you're getting back to the situation that you have with a standard DC. direct conversion yeah. receiver. Which means that if you're tuning in a CW signal, you, if you've never done it, you, you got the signal, then you go lower in frequency, and it goes boop, 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 and it gets down. Now you can't hear a tone anymore. You turn the other side, you can hear it there, too. So you can hear it in two places on the dial. Anyway, I started talking to people and investigating and asking folks. We, and we ended up talking to Allison at KB1GMX, another wizard, all right? And Allison explained to us the shortcomings that, you, that come with the divide by two. It's just a matter of the, that the inverter that you have to use creates a phase difference and, and deviates, gets you away from the, 90%, from the 90 degrees that you need. Sure enough, I, I fired up my Rigol scope. I love that Rigol scope. And I discovered new features in there, Pete. It'll do all kinds of things that my, our beloved Tech 465s couldn't do. It'll measure phase difference. And so sure enough, I fired it up and I looked at the two streams coming out of the new VFO. And they were close to 90 degrees, but no cigar. Not close enough. 83, 85%. And that's enough to mess up the uh, the image reject feature of it. So 
I said, oh, can't, that, that's not going to go. I consulted with, with Todd again, and it turned out that I could take the, this little digital, this little uh, logic, uh, these logic chips that I was using, these flip-flops and inverters, and with just by changing a few wires, I could go to a divide-by-four scheme. So as soon as I went to divide-by-four, of course, my frequency coverage was limited. Now it was limited up to, uh, you know, up to about 40 megahertz, which is good enough. Um, but I noticed that I was back to the to the really good opposite sideband rejection that I had before. So there was some wisdom in the selection of the divide by four thing. It makes it relatively easy to uh, to get the opposite sideband rejection you need. I know you you heard about another scheme that'll let you do it divide by two, right? Right. Uh, matter of fact, there's a um, another popular SDR radio like the Softrock called the UHF UHF SDR. And it uses the divide by two, but it uses some microwave switches that, mm-hmm. that let you do that, that, that compensate for that. And, and to that end, Bill, also the, uh, the Raspberry Pi and the Quisk, uh, they have a tuning network in there. That, and that's, that's the difference between the hardware and the software. The, the hardware, which mostly your radio is hardware, the, the, the accuracy of the components and the amount of phase shift gets really critical. In other words, if those components are off a little bit, you're not going to get the 90 degree phase shift. So with the with the uh, with the soft rocks and uh, and the computer programs, you can go in there and tune it. So you get you yeah. compensate for for what you have. So uh, you know, I, I I would almost suspect if you used a divide by two, maybe in conjunction with the computer program, you you could you could use a divide by two, but you'd have the capability of uh, of uh, offsetting the the image <clears throat> in in software more so than in hardware. So, but but anyway, yeah, I think that's great. And 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 now the uh, the upper limit on the uh, on the SI fifty three fifty one is this the stuff being spewed out of the factory now is two hundred megahertz. Matter of fact, some guys have uh, taken it way beyond that. So that puts you at a six meters, which is really wow. really nice. Six meters, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's been great. It's been a real adventure. It's been fun, and, and it's been and one of the best parts about it is you you there's so many friendly people out there who will help you. And I mentioned Allison, Todd, Tom up in New York City. Also Thomas, a young fellow over there in Norway, yeah. LA three PNA, very very helpful and patient. Also, he's a I think he's a, he's become a digital wizard, and uh, and so I, I I I feel for him because when he's dealing with me, he's dealing with a real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my amateur sta- my amateur status yeah, on this is well established. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, now you know I, how I feel dealing with the pie and quisk. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you my, go. There you go. Anyway, I but you know, Pete. I, one other thing I want to mention. Well, a couple other quick things on my bench report because I've actually been quite busy. You know, we've had a lot of snowstorms and we've been snowed in and stuff. So, um, I uh, I at the opposite end of the technology spectrum, I've been working on my uh, uh, 160 meter AM station. And specifically, the HQ100, the Hammerland HQ100 receiver, a real dirt simple uh, receiver from Hammerland from the uh, from the 1950s. It doesn't even have any crystal filters in it. The uh, the selectivity is provided by the uh, 455KC IF cans, and theoretically by a Q multiplier that they have in there. But I don't I don't use the Q multiplier. I'm I'm operated on AM. And so the the broadness of the response uh, with the 455KC IF cans is just what you need. But I, I found this article that talked about a uh, a designed feature that they that they used when they were selling this thing back in the 1950s. It was like the auto response audio uh, feedback circuit, and 
uh, right away I started picking up reports from guys who were saying that this circuit has to go because it just it messes up the uh, the audio and not only that the way they designed it the uh, the audio was kind of communications quality audio at best which means 300 to 3,000 kilohertz the, the 300 yeah 300 to 3,000 hertz um, and anyway I, I found a, a mod on the uh, AM window the uh, the with the AM the reflector for uh, for AM enthusiasts, and this guy wrote it in 2003, and it was a real good kind of prescription for how to bring the audio response of this old receiver up to snuff. So I went ahead and did it on a snowy day, and man, it was really satisfying because the receiver went from sounding not too good to sounding really great. And some of these guys on AM spend a lot of time and pay a lot of attention to getting the audio output of their transmitters just right. And when you listen to them on a good broad receiver uh, with, with good audio output circuitry, it's, uh, it's, it's really, really nice. So that's been fun. I, um, a couple other things. I built uh, some dual, I built dual digital readouts using these. Uh, I, love these I love these frequency counter chips from China, uh, boards from China, about 16 bucks. The company is... San Jian, the last word, J-I-A-N. It's like San Juan, but instead of Juan, Jian, J-I-A-N. And uh, they, I get these little six-digit uh, frequency counters, and there's, they, all you got to do is provide, you know, nine volts at, at the, uh, one terminal and the input signal at the other, and away you go, and they count great. So I built this little box. Maybe I'll put a picture of it up when we, when we post this on the blog, but it... Uh, it it gives you the on one I have the um, I have the um, the receive frequency on the other I have the transmit frequency and and we're good so I can watch yeah. and see and where, where I'm going so that's that's been fun one other thing electrostatic elect static electricity yeah man it was so dry here after the big blizzard that I I knew as I walked around the shack that I was generating tens of thousands of volts just by walking across the carpet. Also, I have this, I have this office chair with, with plastic wheels on it, and I, I become kind of like a little Van de Graaff generator when I, when I slide across the shack. So well, it was really bad because I would, when I, if I would touch anything metal, the discharge, I'd have a little lightning bolt going off my finger. And I knew I had to be careful, but of course I wasn't. So one day I brushed my finger up against the LCD display on the uh, the phasing receiver, and poof, it disappeared, never to come back again. So I started looking around for solutions, and um, I put some stuff up on the blog, and several good suggestions came in. One or two less than friendly and helpful <laughs> suggestions came in. There are apparently people out there who take offense at static electricity. I don't know. But uh, Anyway, one, one thing I did was kind of cool. I took those little plastic bags that DigiKey sends its components in, and I looked it up, and they, they actually, there's some pretty sophisticated technology in those electrostatic bags, and I made a Band-Aid. <clears throat> I cut out a chunk of it and just taped it across the front of the LCD screens, and that, well, I, I haven't blown up any yet. Another guy suggested this spray called uh, Staticide, <laughs> and one guy got mad at me and said, I need to address the core problem. And oh, that's when they suggested, some guys suggested that I constantly wear one of these wristbands, you know, connected to ground. Can you imagine you walk into the shack, the first thing you do is you ground yourself at all times. Or, or a nail in your shoe. 
So you're anchored to ground. Nailing your shoes. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. I, I didn't, I, that wouldn't be too good on the carpeting, but uh, anyway, uh, we we got through it, and uh, it's about it's about 20 degrees C out there right now, 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. Maybe I won't have to worry about this yeah. anymore. I'm going to just solve this problem by the by the uh, by the changing of the seasons, Pete, which brings us to February. Yes, February. Antennas. Yes. Hit us with some tribal knowledge. You bet. Well, you know, you you posed an interesting question as to why people work on antennas in February. And uh, I I thought it might have something to do with a holiday. In other words, you have Christmas and New Year's and you have Easter. But but I think in our our prior discussion on this, the, the real answer is if an antenna is erected in February and survives, it'll survive anything, right? Yes, and also it, 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 it's, a, it's a ham tradition. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. and you know, it, it's a it's part of the kind of the, I think the weird kind of perverse logic that pervades a lot of our hobbies. You know, you're sitting there, and it's it's twenty degrees or below zero centigrade. Ice all the wind over is everything. blowing. Ice all over. You start everything. thinking, you know, that dipole could be up a bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> or you. Or you- I, I'm, I'm sure it would make an enormous difference if it was five feet higher. Yeah, or, or you reason with three feet of snow and you put a ladder on top of that that puts you three foot higher that you can move you it go. up. You, yeah. you have to take it. These are the kind of thoughts that go through oh, our heads. Oh, yeah, yeah. When February rolls around. But but you're right. There's this widespread, it's it's kind of uh, among the old timers, uh, there's this widespread kind of lore, I guess, that uh, the antennas raised in February work better it's maybe maybe something to do with the radio gods yeah, yeah but now you're it's easy for you to talk this way yeah down there in in southern california la la land yeah well, well your, your temperature and my temperature is the same today well that's only because this is an unusual <laughs> weather pattern yeah. but normally believe believe me we've had a few days where it was yeah. a bit different over here you know i i joke with with our friend roger also out there in california but he's up 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 north but i i told him i said after the big blizzard you know, we had a big blizzard dumped three feet of snow on us. I said, Roger, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news, well, the first, the bad news. The bad news is that all my antennas are now three feet closer to the ground. The good news is that all of my ground radials are three feet deep. Yeah. Three feet deeper than they were yeah, before. Yeah. So, anyway. So, let's talk about antennas and you know in in quite a few of our podcasts of the past we always say put your time effort and energy in the antenna i mean instead of buying a ten thousand dollar radio spend a hundred bucks and put up a good dipole and and i think there's a lot of sound wisdom to that um and, and so many times you'll you'll ask people well, what are you running for an antenna and you know um I, i've told the story frequently about the guy that had the ft2000 and he had a piece of wire up in the attic and wasn't making a lot of contacts so he bought an icom 7800 and wasn't making a lot of contacts you know so it was really the antenna that's key and and that's that's well documented and and it, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on an antenna there's things that you can do uh, really a well-constructed dipole but a lot of it has to start with some noodling uh, when I moved here to this QTH, first thing I did is made a plot plan uh, of, of my backyard, and I accurately placed the house on the lot so I could see distances and lengths. And if I put uh, a support structure for for an inverted V, you know where where could I put that that I'd get the maximum coverage? And also, 
putting the direction on it, uh, you know, putting up a dipole that, that's going to maybe face the wrong direction uh, will not let you work Europe. So I, I try to look at, you know, how can I orient this uh, dipole antenna so it would face Europe. So there's a lot to be said for uh, before you spend any money and before you get out the uh, the ladder, spend a lot of time noodling. And, and I think that that's really important. Uh, and if you do that, you're going to be paid off. You're going to get big dividends in the payoff uh, with regard to having a you know well matched antenna, and you're going to have it up uh, in the right direction at the right close location, the right length. So feeding it is not going to be a problem. Just a whole bunch of things, and so kind of get smart. And uh, there's some uh, software uh, associated with this. One of these uh, is, of course, EasyNeck. They got the free version. It won't let you do elaborate uh, type of analysis, but enough uh, if you want to build a dipole, that, that works quite well. Uh, W4RNL, Cebic, uh, used to have a lot of free information on the Internet, but uh, he's now a silent key, and so now they want to charge you for it. But that was really, really good, solid information on all kinds of antennas and uh uh, you know, don't overlook uh, things like the ARRL handbook, and there there are others, the Antenna handbook. There's other various publications. So do a lot of research, and uh, really put some time, effort, and energy in the antenna because it makes a, a world of difference. And to that end, uh, in 2015, I I took on a, an antenna, a beam antenna project, and uh, this is where I found that uh, you know a lot of the information that's published by the manufacturers is kind of short. Uh, there's some things that uh, you really needed to know that wasn't provided when you go back to the manufacturer. Oh, yeah, you ought to do this. So um, uh, it, I started with uh, that a fact that I wanted to get something up about 33 feet. I wanted a two-element beam. I want to make it rotatable, and uh, I found a good location. Uh, I looked at the structural aspects of it and um, to make sure that what I put up there was going to survive some winds. Matter of fact, today is a very, very windy day here in Southern California, and uh, we've had uh, several weeks of wind where big trees uh, have gone over in, in people's backyards. So uh, you you got to be wary of that. You know, you tend to think California winds. You know, yeah, winds down here in the coast. And matter of fact, we get them from two directions. We get the Santa Anas that blow from the desert towards the ocean, and every once in a while we get the ocean winds coming the other way. The only uh, short side on my beam antenna installation was the manufacturer of the antenna said, don't pin it to the mast. And he said the reason is is that you'll exert tremendous forces uh, on that mast because of the wind loading. Well, sure enough, um, <laughs> my antenna has moved, so I'm going to have to... Uh, and when I'm waiting till all the windy weather goes down, I put the put the I have an alignment uh, mark on it, so I know where to put the antenna. So I got to put it back to where it it so attracts the uh, the indicator. And uh, but that that's kind of a minor inconvenience uh, relative to if I had pinned it, I'd probably have uh, probably would have chewed up the mass. So you know, think think a little bit ahead about things that you may encounter because it saves you a lot of grief um, downstream. So I, I can't say enough for an analysis work. I can't say enough for getting a good antenna. And, and even with a an inexpensive 5-watt radio with a really good antenna, you'll work the world. When I lived in the state of Washington, I had an extended lazy H up in the pine trees. 5 watts, I, I'd break polyps in Europe because it was the antenna and not, not running 5 kilowatts. So uh, yeah. can't, can't say enough for that. Put the time you know, in the I, antenna. I, I, good, good tribal knowledge there, Pete. And I... Uh, you know, you've had an influence on me because when I was building this 160-meter antenna, I found myself compelled to noodle <laughs> with actual graph paper. Yeah. 
and I made a diagram of the of the yard, and I tried to figure out where I was going to put the uh, the the ground radials and where the antenna was going to go and where the feed point was going to be, and all that stuff. And it did make the the project. Uh, I even have the map right here. I'll just I'll, I can I can show you that. Look at look look at that. Oh yeah, noodling. Yeah, noodling. There you go. There's a pot plant. That. The pot plant. Yeah, right. got it. And uh, it helped quite a bit. And it, you know you, you keep a record now. You know you don't want to bury these ground radials. You don't remember where they are. Not too good. But uh, yeah, and I, and I, you know, the you hear this all the time on the on the radio. Guys will say, "Well, you know, I, I had I had trouble working some DX, so I'm thinking that I better buy an amplifier." And, and I'm thinking, no, man. You especially when you like you say you check and you find out that the antenna that they're using is, you know, they bought a G5 RV and they hung it out sort of out in the backyard at 12 and, feet. Yeah, and it's just not it's not doing it. So. And and now they're going to think about buying an amplifier and pumping a kilowatt into this At thing. At twelve feet. <laughs> <laughs> so I always say, you know, no, you know, think about it. You know, the antenna is much more important. Put up something. You don't have to spend a lot of money. And uh, I hope sometimes people take heed to that. The other thing I noticed, I just wanted to mention this. I think it's kind of a sad thing. I don't want to dwell on it, but there's so many guys out there now who are afraid of really experimenting with antennas. And the reason they're afraid is because they've got so much money sunk into the transceiver. And they're afraid that if they don't hook something, you know, made by a real manufacturer on there, they don't trust themselves even to put together, you know, a dipole or a loop or a lazy H or something like that for fear that if they do something wrong, they're going to blow up their kilobuck transceiver. And that, so that really impedes this area of experimentation. So, and you'll even see it. A lot of folks will go and they'll only work with an automatic antenna tuner. They'll have some simple antenna out there, but they'll have invested a lot of money in putting an automatic antenna tuner between the vertical and the expensive transceiver. Again, it all gets back to fear of damaging the really expensive rig. Believe me, I don't have any of that fear here, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> this, this old junk and all this homebrew stuff. If I blow my finals, you know, it's, 89 gotta, cents, 89 cents, $1.25 yeah, yeah, from yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But anyway, uh, hey, what is your favorite antenna of all time? Well, I think my favorite is the one I had up in the uh, state of Washington was the extended lazy H. And if you think of the letter H on its side, it's an upper dipole and a lower dipole. And they're connected with uh, a section of 450 ohm uh, uh, balanced feed line. Uh, the upper dipole was at 50 feet. Uh, the lower one was at uh, t uh, 25 feet above ground, connected with 25 foot of uh, 450 ohm ladder line. Then it, the feed line was ladder line, and they were fed in phase, and they were 110 feet long, and it was facing Europe, and it had six major lobes with 6 dB gain. And this thing, I, I could, I had a big old homebrew antenna tuner. I could tune and put, I could put two and a half kilowatts into that thing. Uh, it would. Uh, it would work all the way from 80 meters all the way up to 10. And I, I, like I said, I'm running five watts. Uh, you could you could break polyps in Europe with that thing. But it had a bounce right off of Puget Sound. So I looked right up Puget Sound. So, I mean, there was just some wire. I, I think I had about maybe $100 total invested in the whole antenna. And, and it was better than the beam. And because another one of the lobes was right over South Africa. So it always worked consistently South Africa running QRP power level. So put the money in the antenna. That's where it is. 
Well, you know, even even without a lot of money, I mean, just put the effort. I mean, because when I think back, I was thinking about the same question. What's my favorite antenna? And my favorite antenna was the Ray Gun. <clears throat> Built it in the Dominican Republic, probably about around 1994. It was based on an article from 73 Magazine. And all kinds of crazy stuff appeared in 73. It was really, it was kind of wild. There was no, there was no peer review going on there. There was no review of any kind. <laughs> it was just... Whatever somebody sent in, old Wayne would put in the magazine, and it was a great source of ideas. Anyway, I, I was getting interested in in satellites, especially talking to the Mir space station on two meter FM phone, uh, and I I needed an antenna, and there was this article in there about the ray gun. The ray gun was designed for satellite work, but it was a dual bander, and it had a five element two meter cubicle quad. And then inside the quad was a, 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 a helix, a helical helix antenna for 440 for 70 centimeters. And I only built the two-meter portion. I was tempted to build the, uh, the thing for 440 because it looks so cool. But I just built this thing on scrap lumber, and I used a refrigerator tubing, and I had a TV rotator. And from my house in the Dominican Republic, I kept it elevated above the horizon by about 45 degrees. But it was just great fun to build this thing. I, st I still have the copper elements that, uh, that, 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 that went into this thing. The wood's long gone. But I may resurrect it someday. And I, I used that thing to talk to somebody in orbit around the wow. Earth. And it was, uh, it, it was just, just great fun. How about um, tips, tools, tricks, tribal knowledge, anything? Well, what you, I, you know, yeah. I just wanted to mention, Bill, that uh, there are so many. Uh, we were talking about the Arduino earlier. There's so many art, art, wonderful Arduino-based uh, instruments that, that are available today that uh, like SWR, calculating SWR meters, power meters, uh, there's antenna matchers, and uh, all this stuff is, um, you know, not a lot of hardware, and uh, the code is pretty simple, and uh, you, you, you've got to ask yourself, why not? Uh, I have a, an SNA Junior uh, that uh, was designed by Duane, uh, KB4QB, and put that on the antenna, and it shows where the resonance points are. You know, where is that antenna resonant? So, I mean, just just a few bucks in parts, uh, you know, maybe $25 worth of parts, and uh, download the code from Wayne's uh, website, and you're in business. So, uh, I, I think it's wonderful to take advantage of some of these tools and that. You don't have to spend, uh, I think MFJ sells one for 300 bucks. I mean, for about $30, you get 90% of the capability, and it's for 10% of the price. So, you know, that that. Yeah, that, that's the and, that's the deal. And in terms of antenna analysis, one thing that that comes to mind is uh, a Sprat magazine from the GQRP Club has had some great articles about real simple antenna analysis that you can do using graph paper and some trigonometry, a couple of resistors, and a and a and a voltmeter to figure out exactly what the uh, what the, the 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 impedance looks like at your feed point at the end of the transmission line. And that's really important information because that's what you need to be able to tune it to get the right, to get it at resonance, to get it to resonance and get the right kind of impedance, the right load for your for your transmitter. So uh, I, I take a look at those articles in Sprout. I'd say get a lot of books. One thing, Pete, I noticed, I wanted to mention this. I have a book here, Practical and Tested Aerial Systems by Ian Kaiser, G3RROO. Kangaroo Guy, by, the Kangaroo Guy. Yes, that's it. We're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him in yeah. mailbag. <laughs> Edited by Tony Fishpool, G4WIF. I really like this book. They put it together. I think they're selling it on um, 
on Lulu. Oh, cool. Check it out. But I think it was very good. Anyway, and I think you could do a lot with a simple SWR meter. If you know what the thing is measuring and you know how to use it, it could give you all kinds of information. We've talked earlier about how it could let you know if you're if you're putting out parasitic oscillations or other spurs. Um, but it, it can also give you a sense of, of, what the, of how, how wide the antenna is, how, how, what, how the SWR varies as you move the frequency up and down, what, your, what, the, what the load impedance might be like, things like that. So a simple SWR meter, if you get used to using it, can be, can be real helpful. Um, let's see what else. Ah, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put in a request for information. Look at this thing I have oh. in front of me. Now. This, oh. listen to this. Oh. Ha- Palomar Instruments Incorporated. Oh. Pal- Palomar Instrument Company. I think it's it's from someplace out there in California. Yeah, it's in San Diego. Palomar. Yeah, yeah, Palomar, and they they put out this really cool SWR meter that will go up to will measure five one hundred or five hundred watts, and it's got an AM monitor. Mm. I got the whole thing. I even have the board. But the one thing I really need to put this thing back in operation, and the meter still works. Here's a trick. Here's a trick for, for, for new hams. You, got, you buy something that's got a nice meter in it, find out if the meter works. You know how you do it? You just wiggle a little bit. You wiggle the whole thing. And if that, if that needle moves a little bit, it's probably working. Not certain. However, if the needle, does, needle doesn't move at all, stay away from it. Or anyway, this, moves to the other side and stays there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if it moves, if it bounces a little bit like that, yeah. you're probably good. This one's good, and I, I need a schematic for this thing. I, I tried the internet; it failed me. I, I'll tell you where to go. Where? What you want to do is call RF Parts. RF Parts in San Marcos, California. Those guys have yeah. a connection to Palomar. Matter I'll fact, call. And and they, matter of fact, they sell some repair parts and spare parts for some of the Palomar projects and I bet you they can put you onto it. RF parts. And, and the right. guy's got a call sign real similar to mine. It's like W6QN. Yeah. And uh, so you might might call him and ask him where you can get the schematic and I'm sure they'll tell you where to get it. Art parts. Well, I think that because I, I think it would be cool to get this thing fired oh, up yeah. and use it with the AM oh, station. Yeah. And plus, you have the AM monitor. You oh, put them head yeah, that's find a out. nice meter. Uh, the, the listeners can't see it, but that's what about a four or five inch meter. It's big, and it's a, a whole the boxes. It's got this big steel box and everything oh, else. Yeah. I even have the old PC board. If I had the schematic, I'd get this thing going. Oh, yeah. So we'll, we'll yeah, work yeah, on that. It. But if anybody out there, you know, we our, our listeners, Pete, are just a treasure trove. Oh yeah. Of arcane knowledge, <laughs> and, and 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 a in a virtual library of weird technical documents. And some of it is useful. Some of it might be. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody out there happens to have laying around a schematic and manual for the Palomar, uh, you know, what do they call it here? What am I calling it? The Palomar Model 500 yeah. SWR meter. Yeah, there you go. Put this thing back on the air. Anything else on antennas? I no, mean, no, so just much- to recap, Bill, and we're going to sound like a broken record. Spend the time and do some research and analysis and, and invest your time in the antenna. That, that pays big dividends. Yeah, and I, I, just a couple other antennas. I, I really like building my 17-meter Moxon. That thing, that's a good example. I, I joke about this antenna. I say it weighs about nine pounds. And with the, when I talk to the Brits, I say it probably cost me about nine pounds, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
it's 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 real cheap. I mean, I I bought some wire. I got some scrap lumber. I bought four uh, fishing poles from uh, Amazon, and it's been up there now. This is going on. It's it's gotten through its second winter. Yeah, knocking, knocking on wood yeah. here. And then I've I've had a lot of fun with this 160 meter inverted L with the tuner out there. The tuner in the cooler. Because I have out in the backyard, right at the feed point where the where the antenna comes down right to the coax, I just put in a cooler out, out there, uh, uh, a little L network tuner with uh, a roller inductor and the bread slicer capacitor. And man, that thing it, it's great because you know one of one of the things that one of the things that people always complain about with SW with with, with transmatches or antenna tuners is that if you have the thing right next to the rig, you're not really changing anything on the transmission line. The problem, whatever problems exist on the transmission line continue to exist. Yeah. Whatever losses you have out there continue to exist. Whereas what I'm doing is I'm taking the, the transmatch and putting it out at the end of the coax next to the antenna. It's easy because it's a, you know, it's a vertical. And I just tune it up out there. And it's been working great. I've been having, having a lot of fun with it. Of course, you have to go outside if you want to change bands. Yeah, there but. you go. By the way, you're going to mention somebody a little bit later on in the podcast. And that's his antenna of choice. Hmm. Who will that be? You know, the guy in the hole. Ah, yes. The guy in the hole. That's that's what he uses. I know, and he does amazing yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So, think about that antenna. You know what? That's got to be well designed. When when you talk about it, and you think about the power levels he's running, it's got to be an antenna. All right, that brings us to we have a lengthy a lengthy uh, mailbag. Yeah. So we got to pause here for the gong. Bong. All right. Thank you, Billy. No, we don't do that anymore, but we, we did that at the end. But anyway, you remember, Billy would bang the gong Wait at this point. Shameless Commerce Division. Oh, oh man, you, you always remind me. Yeah, that's right, Shameless Commerce Division. Hey, thanks to everybody who's been buying their stuff through the Amazon ad on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com uh, blog page. Really helpful. It's great. It's, a, it's, a, it's, like, it's a perfect way for us to, to get the kind of money that we need for priority projects like Fixing the Palomar Instrument Company Model 500, getting the HQ100 going, buying Arduinos. And backup recording software. (laughs) (laughs) Backup recording software. Uh, LCD screens that I blew up, cans of Statoside, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you buy there, we get a a piece of change from... uh, from, from the suits at Amazon, from Jeff Bezos and those people. You know, and they got plenty of money, so yeah. they might as well send some to us. Yeah. And if you just start your search on that little thing, it's in the upper right corner, hand corner of soldersmoke.blogspot.com, cha-ching, we get some money. Painless. And it doesn't, doesn't cost you anything. It's right out of Bezos's pocket. What could be better? Yeah, painless, so, painless. It's painless to do it's, that. It's painless commerce division. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for that, Pete. But really what we're getting to was Sarge Smoke Mailbag. And let's start, well, let's, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about um, the, the, the Poet Laureate of QFP in a minute, but first we got some uh, really big news here, and uh, good news, good news for Ham Radio, good news for us, good news for Home Brewer, Home Brewers, one of our listeners, the guy who actually spends time listening to you and me do this, yeah. which is pretty amazing, um, Tom Gallagher, NY2RF, has been named the new executive vice president of the American Radio Relay. Yay! Congratulations. Hey. Congratulations, Tom. That's a big job, and I'm, and he's a perfect guy for it. He's got a big background in finance, in the academic world, 
and just an all-around great guy, long history in ham radio, and uh, and has been been reaching out to people who are interested in the technical aspects of the hobby, which I think is a really good sign. Pete and I have both been exchanging emails with him with some ideas about 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 home brewing and where home brewing fits into modern ham radio, and it's been a really interesting exchange. But I just wanted to congratulate Tom and encourage all the solder smoke listeners, all the people in the and the uh, International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards to support Tom and his new endeavors there. He's trying to take the league <coughs> to the right place and keep it on track and keep it, uh, uh, you know, to maintain the uh, the technical orientation that's always been part of the, of the organization. It's a tough job because he's, it's a very, very diverse group with a, people with diverse interests, and, and the league has to represent all of them. We have to remember that. Oh, yeah. But but it, but it's, it's good that he's got a connection to the... Uh, he knows which end of the soldering iron to grab, Pete. Yeah, and and what also is a big boon to him, anybody that has a call N two N Y two R F, you got that. That's that's a story in itself, right? It's got it's got a little bit of the attitude of yeah, my hometown. Yeah, right? yeah, you know yeah. That's what I was saying. A little bit of that. Yeah. N Y two R F. What are you talking about? Yeah, hey. yeah, yeah. What do you know? What do you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Anyway, good luck, good luck, Tom, and uh, congratulations. Now, Michael Rainey, the hero of the Hobbit Hole, yeah. the poet laureate of QRP and homebrew, is back in action. Michael, he's got a lot of interest. He's interested in all kinds of things, and sometimes he gets diverted and he's working on something else for a while. We don't hear from him, but he's back, and he's back on the air with a truly unique well, everything he does is a unique. Yeah. They're all unique. All oh, that, everything. Yeah. And now he's on the air with a single unijunction transistor. Now, this is just a unijunction transistor is just a fancy diode. Really, it's a chunk of N-type semiconductor with a terminal at one end, another terminal at the other end, and a little bit of P in there, a little bit of P-type material. And he can get this thing to work as a relaxation oscillator. And he's got it oscillating at amateur frequencies, and he's using it as a transmitter. And I think he's putting out like one milliwatt, or it might be in micro. I think he started out at microwatts. And I think it's up to a milliwatt now. I think he's up to a milliwatt. He's QRO at a milliwatt. Yeah. (laughs) And he's been working stations out to two, three hundred miles, I think, something like that, or about 150 kilometers, I think. It's the antenna. It's all. (laughs) It's the antenna, guys. Come on, give the give the designer yeah. and the constructor a little credit yeah, here. Yeah, but but he pays attention to that. That's what I'm, that was yeah. my point. Yeah, that's it. He, Michael's got this amazing workshop underground. He dug it out, and he's got we had pictures of it of the construction, and he's got the the workshop is at one level, and you go down below is the operating position. It's just really cool. He has been he was interviewed Sunday before last by um, our friend Eric in Israel. On his QSO Today podcast, the name of the program is QSO Today. Just, just uh, Google it's four Z one UG, right? Yeah, four Z one UG. Eric, he's got the the name of the show is QSO Today. Just Google it, you'll find it. I have a link to it at the lower right in my uh, on the soldersmoke.blogspot.com page. And listen to Michael Rainey talk about home brewing and his ideas about ham radio and. The importance of uh, of making your own rigs and having that connection. Also, very minimalist. He, he that's I think the thing that characterizes all his work. 
minimalist to the max, if such a thing is possible. But holy cow, he, he takes minimalist to a new level of minimalism. Yeah, most of his stuff is recycled components. I mean, he'll, yep. he'll look for old VCRs and, you know, old radios and things of that sort. And uh, you don't see a lot of new parts in, in his builds. They're all no, recycled no, he, parts. No, no, he... he he was famous also for, for making, I think, a transmitter out of parts out of one of these CFC light bulbs. Yeah, yeah. One of the curly Q, uh, yeah. you know, the, the uh, Com- compact the fluorescent, yeah, compact the circular fluorescent. fluorescent light bulbs. Yeah, took the transistor yeah, he, out of there. Yeah. Transistor and a coil and a few other things, and away you go. But I, I really like the interview with Eric. You guys will, will really like it. He, uh, he talks about taking a DX100 home with him as a kid uh, on his radio flyer wagon. <sighs> And then firing it up and getting on the air. He, he also talks about uh, coming out of basic training in the Coast Guard with a, with an unusually large amount of money in his pocket because they didn't pay him at all during basic training. So they paid him all in one shot, and he took the money, and he bought a Yesu transceiver. And he didn't like uh, it. That's the, that, that's the sign of somebody with the right instincts, you yeah. know? He, there was something about uh, it. it. You know, uh, each zone, we're not criticizing anybody. <laughs> But Michael, for some reason, didn't like it. And the reason is that he was a true wizard, a member of the International Brotherhood of Electronic Wizards. And Eric Eric started asking him, I thought it was funny, because Eric started asking him about different rigs that he's built over the years. And they have different names. Michael had trouble remembering a couple of them, because the thing is, I don't think Eric didn't, re- Eric didn't realize at the time that these rigs no longer exist. Unlike the rest of us, where we build something... And we kind of put it up on the shelf. Michael does most of his work on these little breadboards, like the Radio Shack prototype plug-in boards, yeah. prototype boards. And so once he's finished, he disassembles everything, and poof, it's gone. It lives on on the Internet. And Eric found the Wayback Machine version of some of Michael's earlier uh, websites and blogs. And I'm really glad that they're still out there because there's a lot of genius there. Michael writes a lot for, not a lot, but from time to time for, for Sprat. And he's been in QRP Quarterly, too. It was right. an interview with him there. But uh, we've heard from him. He's, he shared with us his adventures with the Unijunction transistor. And we think this is a radio first. We think his contacts last month were marked the first time that a single Unijunction transistor has been used for uh, radio communications, amateur or otherwise. So uh, really uh, a, a great achievement there. Another one. Michael, keep them coming. And keep that uh, that that hobbit hole in operation. There, you're making a great, great contribution to the radio art. Let's see. Continuing on the mailbag, Pete. Ooh, big bag, big bag. I want to thank Dale W9DKB. Uh, I I had asked a while back. I think on the last podcast, I was said I was a missing missing a few pages. Oh yeah. On my book, the challenge of 160, and Steve Silverman had helped me, but then. I found out that I was missing more pages, and Steve was at another location and didn't have the book. But Dale wrote in and asked me what pages I needed, and I sent him a list of pages, and he sent me back the whole book. Wow, it's beautiful! Look at this thing, the Challenge of 160. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a lot of this with you, Pete, because you know you have made that that solemn oath. Oh yeah, yeah. I just need to find some time. You've been given temporary temporary dispensation, but we're not. We're gonna hold you okay. to it eventually. Okay. All right, but thanks very much, uh, Dale. Very kind to you. Also, we've heard from Alan Walke, W2AEW, another wizard. Um, Alan went ahead and built a Michigan Mighty Might, probably during one of the snowstorms that hit the Northeast. Um, 
and produced a really great video. Alan is a, a, a field service engineer for Tektronics and has access to some of the most amazing test gear. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like you know, technical eye candy watching, the, you know, watching his workbench in operation. Take his rig into work, yeah, and work Spectrum on it. Op- no, he's got, he's got, I think he's got, he has a test gear at home. Yeah, he's got it at home. Yeah. And, and it's really great stuff, Spectrum, and, Spectrum analyzers, and he builds the Mighty Might, and then he shows us why we need low-pass filters. Steve Snort-Rosen-Smith, absolutely right. Take a look at some of those waveforms. Take a look at the spectrum analyzer output. It's scary. Put that low-pass filter in there. It becomes beautiful. So uh, Alan uh, put this thing together. Hackaday, the the guys over at Hackaday picked it up and and ran ran it. And I I really think that's great. It's one of the things I said to Tom Gallagher. I said, you know, if you if you're looking for for an area in where you where you could find people who could become interested in ham radio. That whole Hackaday world, the, the maker world, is uh, is really, I think, uh, filled with opportunity. And Alan's video got picked up by them. And every time one of these videos, one of our videos, shows up there, there's all kinds of comments like, wow, I need to get involved in this. And this is really interesting. How could I do more on this? So I think we're probably getting more new recruits through that avenue than, than any others. Yeah. Got a nice email from Daniel, HK4DEI. Building double sideband rigs in Medellin, Colombia. All right. And D- Daniel, very, very nice fella, and shared with us some of his trials and tribulations. He was having so much trouble getting those amplifiers to amplify. He found solace in my book, you know, when I talked about some of my suffering. And, uh, and he, he made reference to the suggestion that sometimes when you're working with transistorized amplifiers, you... There's nothing else you could do, and you just have to turn to the occult and sacrifice chickens to Papa Legba. This is what C.F. Rocky first mentioned in an article way back. And so Daniel told me that he was almost at the point of asking me to go out in the backyard and kill a few chickens for him. (laughs) And I was getting ready to to make the request that somebody do that. But then Daniel wrote in, and he found that the source of his trouble, he had picked up a handful of fake counterfeit non-functioning transistors so uh, the the title of our article was uh dead chickens and fake transistors in medellin colombia <laughs> yeah but he I, he got it he got it going though. I, I had that same thing happen to me bill i bought some rf transistors and uh you know what the deal was too good to be true and it was <laughs> yeah i uh, but you know you I guess it, it's a new problem. It's always been out there. The vast majority of the, of the stuff that we buy from China is perfectly fine, but you do have to keep your eyes open because there's some fake stuff coming out. Uh, but I, we, we got uh, info on, on Daniel and on Alan uh, on the blog if you want to check out for more information. We heard from our, an old friend, Chris, KD4PBJ, got it into his head that he needs to AM modulate an AD9850. Yes. Of course you do. I mean, these are the kind of things you do. And people say, why are you doing that? You just say, because you can. Yeah. I want to try yeah, to do it. Yeah, yeah. There were actually some de- design notes from the designers of the 809850 chip explaining how you could do this on a snow day. These are the kind of things. The snow days must be, there must be a special kind of surge in creativity and innovation whenever the Northeast or other parts of the country get hit by snow because people get stuck in their houses and they build things. They do other stuff. The other other stuff too, but they do a lot of yeah. building. 
Um, and Chris was there, and he's modulating the AD9850. Real good. And uh, we have information from him up on the blog. Got some great info from Charlie, ZL2CTM. I lo- I, New Zealanders. I, I always, you know, every time I see that ZL call, I think that was my first real big DX. ZL2ACP. Waipawa. Cool place. Great place for ham radio. Charlie's down there, and he earlier reported to us on the construction of some DSB rigs, or a beautiful DSB rig that he made. And most recently, he sent us, um, he had put together a Teensy SDR transceiver. And it looked really beautiful. I mean, he had like a, a, a front end consisting of a down converter that would take 7 megahertz energy and down convert it to 15 kilohertz. At that point, he would feed the 15 kilohertz signal into a Teensy SDR. Teensy is another microcomputer. Compatible right? with the Arduino. Same code works. Right. and But it's more than the microcontroller. Right. It's more of a microprocessor, right. right? And anyway, he would run the SDR software on that and then audio out the other end. And it really looked great. Uh, we, we, then, we were talking about it. A number of us were talking about it. And we, we think we discovered, uh, well, we, we know we discovered kind of a, a bit of a, of a shortcoming that, that Charlie now recognizes and he's going to work on fixing. And that is that you're basically running uh, the IF at 15 kilohertz. And when it's that low, you're going to have an image problem because you're in that front converter, that first converter that where you're down, doing the down conversion, you're going to get... If, if a signal is 30 kilohertz away from your desired tuning frequency, it's on the other side of zero beat, that's going to be going into the SDR also. That's why so many SDR receivers of this type start out with I and Q, similar to what I have in my phasing receiver, yep. because there you're knocking down the image, right? You could even, even go with a zero IF like I have, direct conversion. But you, you need something to take care of the image, especially when the... Uh, when the IF is that low. And that's why we always have this problem with the opposite side of zero beat with DC receivers, unless you do the phasing I and Q thing. And that's why we always have on the regular old super hats, uh, IFs at such high, you know, at five megahertz or 10 megahertz, because there it's easier to build a, a bandpass filter up front. That'll only let, that'll take care of the image. Right. But anyway, it was fun, fun talking to, to, uh, to Charlie about that. We all learned quite a bit. Keep it up, Charlie. Send in some more reports. We heard from an old friend, Jim, W8NSA. His previous call, AL7RV. He reports a sad development in his in his ham shack. Ladies and gentlemen, another, ten, another Tektronics 465, Tech 465 scope has bitten the dust. These things are getting on, and, you know, they're hard to repair, Scared the hell out of me when I opened it up. And uh, Jim is a lot more technically savvy and experienced than I am. But I think he is going to bow out on this project. It might go for a, a Rigol DDS uh, um, digital scope. But that's a sad, it's sad thing because we love these four, Tech 465s. They're just really complicated. Heard from Thomas, KK6AHT. Uh, this is the guy who, who brought the Minima to Washington, D.C. And he and I went into... Uh, into a bar in Roslyn, Virginia. Two guys and a minima walk into a bar. <laughs> Great fella. Thomas Thomas is uh, a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Yeah, he's he's one of the guys that Tom Gallagher wants to wants to recruit, right? So uh, 
anyway, uh, he, he he's, he's, he's still involved with ham radio. I think he's been busy at work. He's got a new roof up on his house, which means, Pete? Antennas. Perfect platform for an antenna. Yeah. Thomas, I hope you feel the uh, the peer pressure here because we're putting pressure on you, buddy. You better get that an antenna up there and make some contacts with that minima. That 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 device that you built was 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 built to communicate. Let it let it communicate. Uh, Grace and TA2 Zulu Golf Echo, our friend over there in Ankara, Turkey, home brewing crystal filters in Ankara. He's the guy who wrote the hollow state design for the radio amateur. Thermatrons. 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 Allison calls them. Thermionic FETs. Yeah. All right. Thermotrons. Uh, we mentioned Ian, G3ROO. Uh, an old friend from the UK. He's down there in Dover, the Dover Constructor Club. He is the founder of Kanga, you know, the UK. Kanga whole thing. Kanga, Kanga UK. UK. Yeah. And, um, and a longtime radio amateur. I, I had a chance to go out with him with, with Tony Fishpool to visit his house there in Dover. What a, a very, very memorable visit. What a... What a great radio amateur. I was going through, I'm digitizing, Pete, my old logs from way back. I'm back in 2001. <laughs> I'm digitizing the logs from 2001. I do a couple pages a week or so every day. And this week I'm back in 2001. I'm out in the Azores. And all of a sudden I see the call in the logbook, G3ROO. Ian and I made contact on 20CW, QRP both ways. So, uh, I mean, I think the radio gods just wanted me to, to make contact with such a prominent member of the G uh, QRP club. Uh, I want to thank Stephen, G7VFY. He has sent me a box of valves. Ooh, valve. Not tubes. Valves. Valves. Ooh. Not thermotrons. Not thermionic FETs. These are proper valves. British valves. They're really beautiful. I mean, and, and I'm... I'm I'm going to I'm going to eventually build something with them. In the meantime, I might just take pictures of them and put them up on the blog because they are things of beauty. And thanks for sending that, Stephen. And thanks for all the uh, the articles and, and uh, postings that you put on the Solder Smoke Facebook page. Very, very good. Um, finally, I want to read a, a little letter we got here because it's nice to end on a positive note. But then, Peter, you let me know if you got any correspondence you want to mention. No, 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 no. Go, go right no. ahead. We get it. We get an email. And the, the first line is a reference to my uh, semi-official position as the Grand Poobah. Got the horns on. The letter begins. Oh, great one! Ridiculous. I wanted to thank you and Pete for all you do. I recently rolled the dice on a Ten Tech Century Twenty One transceiver on eBay to be my first commercial radio. When I plugged it in, there was no audio. However, it had full output transmitting. I downloaded the owner manual and began troubleshooting with my multimeter and Chinese frequency counter. I traced every board back to an LM387 preamp on the audio board. I cross-referenced the LM387, which is no longer produced, to get an NTE replacement and performed the transplant surgery yesterday. Yes. And what do you know? It worked. Ooh. The sweet smell of success. Yes. Man, that could be almost... I always think a good repair is almost as satisfying as a complete homebrew project because you've taken this thing, this complicated thing, it didn't work, and you make it make it work. Anyway, Frank goes on. I know this is a long-winded, but I learned a lot of this from listening to you two on the podcast. I wanted to thank you for all you do. 
It was probably dumb to give someone someone seventy bucks for an untested transceiver. No, seventy bucks. We we've blown a lot more than yeah. that on stuff that never got to work. Yeah, hundred dollars uh, is getting serious now. Yeah, which I think means broken. And, and he says here an untested transceiver, which I think means broken, and I don't know what the hell is wrong. He's got that right. <laughs> but it worked. But it worked out, and now the radio has a little bit of me in it. Yeah, yes. he's added soul. To the new machine. Yep. Trosi, quoting Tracy Kidder. Yeah, you've, you've done a great job there, Frank. That's that, that's the spirit. Fix that thing. Get it going. Work on it. Crack it open. Violate that warranty. Yeah. Pete, we're in overtime. Wow. It's so easy to do. So much stuff. Yeah, man. you bet. Anything else to mention? No, but we fulfilled our promise that we'd talk about antennas. So and we Feb- did it. We did it. We did it twice. Did it twice, yeah. <laughs> so so here's February. I hope we don't have to do it yeah, again. <laughs> well, the inter- I've been I've been keeping track here. We almost said the same thing we did the first time through. <laughs> so that's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah that's amazing. Good. Yeah, that's good. I think it worked out. I think we managed to cut out a lot of the the unnecessary stuff. Yeah, and but but I'm I'm glad we're able to get it back on. I know I've received a couple of emails saying, waiting for the next podcast, you know, so people are kind of anxious out there. So got to get this up. We got to feed the beast. You got to keep everybody, you know, you know, keep the podcast going. And uh, and I really appreciate everybody who's listening and we'd love to get the emails. So keep those, uh, keep the emails coming in, keep that solder flowing Yeah, and uh, work on those antennas in February. You only got a few days left. Yeah. But if you're and, on where uh, you live, it's great weather. <laughs> you want to work on those, yeah. It's, it's wonderful, yeah. All right, Pete, hang in there. I hope, I hope, I hope everything goes well with your wife and she feels better and you guys get back to normal soon. And yeah, uh, gotta get, get back more rust off the that, iron. Yeah, knock that rust off the iron. Yeah. Well, seven threes from the left coast. Seven threes to you, Pete. Seven threes to everybody from the wilds of Northern Virginia. See ya. Ciao. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!